I'm going to be covering the fifth commandment for you. And it's an interesting thing. I've put up here all of the resources. And before I even get started talking about it and praying, I would just tell you that I'm internally indebted to the people that have done so much work on the issue of the Ten Commandments. And, and uh, boy, there's a lot to learn. And so um, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Our Father, we're so thankful for the Word, so thankful for the fact that you have left us this record that we could study and we can uh, learn more about you and our relationship with you. We're thankful for how you have guided us and how you have given and gifted uh, men and women uh, in the understanding of the Word. We pray that today that you would uh, give insight, that you would give wisdom. And I pray, Father, that um, as we go over these things, that you might also um, remind us of your grace. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as a believer, uh, before I became a believer, I should say, we would go to church regularly, but and we would always get taught the Ten Commandments in Sunday school. I mean, that was a kind of a given, and everybody here has been through that, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, but I have to tell you, I never really appreciated the Ten Commandments nearly like uh, I have in this last couple, three weeks. Because as you start to dig into it, you realize there's so much more. There's so much grace. There's so much goodness. There's so much to flourish in, and you miss it because you view it as a, a rules or regulations and things. And that's very natural. I get it. But as I've gone on in my Christian faith, and even as I've this last couple, three weeks, I have to tell you, I've really grown to appreciate um, what we are going to go through today. And, and, then, and the session's over. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> That's how much you learn. Um, so one of the things I like to try to do when I do presentations and, and go through things is where are we? Why did we get here? How did we get here? So I have a little bit of context, and I'll be brief. But you recall that, that God has rescued his people out of Egypt, and he has led them into the desert, and he has provided for their needs in the midst of this, and he has helped defend them in the midst of a bunch of things. So what did we take away from all of that activity? Well, God is at work, and we need to be reminded again and again that God is at work amongst his people. And this, yeah, there we go. And so how is it that we've come to understand this? Well, in Genesis 17, yeah, thank you. Yep. In Genesis 17, we read that God had made a covenant with Abraham. And he said, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. And so what do we, we see? God establishes this promise with Abraham. And he says, I will be a God to Abraham and to his offspring and that I will give them this land of their sojourning. Off to Egypt. Moses, is, they've been there 400 years. Moses is now raised up and they're coming out of Egypt. And so now we go to Exodus 19 and what do we see? We see God talking specifically to Moses, and he says to him, 
he leads them up to Mount Sinai and he says, the Lord called to him, Moses, out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and Israel. And what is he going to say? He says, you have seen what I did. I bore you on eagle's wings. He said, I brought you out to myself. And I stopped and went, see, God brought them out to himself. And I went, wow, that is such a cool picture for what God does with us from our lost estate to where we're at. But the key, you shall be my treasured possession amongst all people on the earth, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom and priests and a holy nation. What do we take? God remembers his promises. I have to tell you that I, this last year we were studying Genesis, and one of the things that struck me is, and we were hissing for joy, God doesn't forget. <laughs> God does not forget his promises. How did it come to me? Well, Jacob had wrestled with God and, and um, had this event, and he said, wow, I see where God is. And he made a covenant promise, I'm going to do these things. He goes off, he comes back 20 years later. God says, come back, and I remember your promise to me, right? And you're going, wow, this is amazing. When we make a promise to God, he does not forget. But better yet, when God makes a promise to us, he always remembers, right? He always remembers. So the next part, we slip to the end of, of Exodus, and so God is talking to Moses, and he says to him, and he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him at Mount Sinai, two tablets of the testimony tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. And just stop for a second. God spoke to him, and he wrote to him. And ask yourself, you, can you even think of a time when God did it? The answer is no. It's unique. It's a, it's a very big deal for God to speak his words and to write his words and give them to Moses and say, take these to the people. And so the scholars tell us that it says, yes, there was two tablets, and many times we think that it's the first five on one and the next five on there. But I just would remind you, they didn't have copiers, so it's most likely to be two copies of the same thing, one that goes into the Ark of the Covenant and the other one that they use as reminders. So as I looked at this, and I apologize because I already know when I look at some of these things, you're not going to be able to read these words. And that's because I'm not a PowerPoint scholar. <laughs> the, uh, the thing that I would tell you is, is that this is a unique issue for God to speak and to write. And the, the points that I took out of this, they don't obey to hear God speak now when they're at the mountain. They obey because he has already spoken. And we say they don't obey the Lord to, so that the Lord will be their God. They obey because he already has declared this, that he is their God. And they don't obey to obtain deliverance, but they obey because God has already freed them from slavery. Does this not speak of grace? I mean, we're reading the Old Testament, and grace just exudes out of this. God has done these things. He has already spoken. He has already declared. He's already freed them. It's pretty cool uh, when you think about it. 
So how do we apply this then to today? Well, God is has God's pursuit and love for his people sets the foundation for their obedience. And the same is true today. God has spoken through Jesus Christ. God has spoken his great love through our Savior. So now if we summarize these first four, you've heard Dan talk about it. It's this vertical relationship that we see with God. And and so historically we see kind of two tables of the law, the first four. And it's the love of God that is the primarily the message. The love of God comes first. And and it when as you ponder it, we don't really love one another unless we love God. It's it's not possible for us to do that. So we can see that these build on each other. And one of the things that I, I come away with out of these whole things is just that we're faced with a God who loves us, who has pursued us. And as we think about how he's established that we love him, and then we horizontally move to and loving our neighbor. So the second five is a transition point for us. We're shifting now after the love of God. We're shifting now to the love of horizontal relationships with man. And the question is, where does this all start? Well, the premise is it starts with our families. Um, Jesus summarizes this, you know, the fact that we have these two tables in the New Testament. When the lawyer talks to him and says, what commandment should I follow? You know, which one is the greatest one? And he tells him to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So we see it summed up. That sums up the law, he says. Well, when we get to the next one, and you can't even read it because it's not there, um, the fifth commandment is supposed to be up there. And it says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, Exodus 20, 12. Oh, who's this answer? <laughs> So I just read it to you. The fifth commandment then is a transition from the first table to the second. And the founda- if the foundation of the first table is the first commandment, then the second table has a foundation of the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother is a foundation point then upon which love for our neighbor is made. Now, I'm going to read this. I got this from Scott Pryor. He was, I'm thankful for him sending it to me because it recently came out in The Economist magazine on May 21st uh, of this year. And there was a study that was done. And, and quite frankly, this is secular view, and it isn't going to be a pretty view. And I will tell you up front that you are all going to say, yes, I can, I can believe this, right? Because... Um, you see it with your eyes. So Cornell University had done a survey. One of the things they took away, 27% of the parents report an estrangement from those that they love. Think about this. American children have cut contact with parents. And we're thinking, well, 27%, there's 330 million people. I know that's more parents, but there's a lot of people covered in that 27%. 
And what is it that we take out of this thing? Well, one of the things that they told us was is that this estrangement, oftentimes the person leading with the knife cutting the relationship is the adult child. And you go, hmm. Now, I'm looking around here. I don't see a lot of young children. We all have families, and we all should be saying, whoa, I don't want that to happen, right? The most common, um, sorry, the, the second point was the increasing trend of divorce is a heightens the overall risk of this. And one of the things, and you would say, yes, this makes sense, that this secular argument says it's usually the father who is the one who gets estranged out of the relationship. Other factors hit it. There's a rise in individualism. Boy, do we see this in today's world. And there is a personal fulfillment mantra. I mean, I'm not being fulfilled in this whole relationship, you know, in my family. And they, where do they turn? It says they're turning to support through books, oftentimes with the title toxic in it, and toxic relationships, this thing, and internet forums. It goes on to say that, um, and I found in another place, and I was shocked by this, and I looked it up, and I, I just couldn't hardly believe it. It's not going to be a surprise to you. I don't spend my time searching the internet for these kinds of things. It, it says there is a title of a teen magazine. You know what the title of this thing, of this particular article was? Do you really hate your parents? Like, who doesn't? And the cover uh, goes on then to say in the article, you know, how to deal with your detestables. What a sad world we're living in. And so what's the point about all of this stuff? Well, the point is, is that um, when we look to our culture and its studies, it shows us that you know, we got a big problem with the Fifth Commandment. And, and uh, we have a big problem total in our relationships, and there's a lot to go on. And I will tell you, one other thing I want to just stop here. I told Ross this. I want to end this conversation today about the hope we have in the gospel and the hope we have in Christ. Because every time I, the more I studied this fifth commandment, the more I could see my own failures, the more I could see where I, I had not been this kind of person, whether it's in my parent-child relationship with my own parents or with my children or with those I work with, etc. So we, there's enough, for lack of a better term, guilt all to go all around. So let's look at the fifth commandment. And there's a parallel in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 15.6. It says, honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land. And that the Lord your God is that the Lord your God is giving you. So what do we see in this parallel passage? One, who is giving the command? God Himself is giving the command here. And what else do we learn? We learn that it may go well with you. So it expands the fifth commandment a little bit more. It gives us a second blessing, if you would, in there with long life and prosperity. So Foundations. God created the first family. Genesis, Mike covered this in what he went through in Genesis 1.27. He created them male and female. And what do we learn in a family? We learn that um, to live with other people, amen, right? Brothers, sisters. Uh, we learn the authority 
I learned that specifically. I grew up in a very agricultural world. You learned right away that there's a lot of dangerous things out there. And if you don't listen to somebody, you're going to get hurt. And so, you know, we need to have that kind of instruction in life. Um, and I would also say that there's the whole issue of um, respect and obedience, things that you need to understand from the family, and we learn love and protection. So our first relationships then that God created in terms of the family beyond himself were with father and mother. And, and so what we recognize, God is the giver of life. He's the one who established all these things. And so when we find someone and we run across them and they are kind and considerate and they have all of these great qualities, quite frankly, you need to recognize and I need to recognize there was a lot of work behind that. <laughs> some parents did some significant work or teachers, you know, because it doesn't come naturally. What do we know? We're not naturally inclined to these kinds of things. So, yeah, we, we need to remember that and we can be an encouragement to one another when we say when we see these qualities in people and the other thing we learn is we learn what it's like to have authority over us and to listen to people so there's a lot of work uh, in being a parent and there's uh, there's a lot of work um, that God has created but he has established it for us for our good that we might flourish so God's blessings through the family, quite fun, honestly, if we don't have social order, if we don't have trust, we don't have mutual respect, we don't typically see thriving civilizations. We don't see thriving societies. We can see it our own self and what we're living in in today's world. And so what's the conclusion? Loving your neighbor starts with honoring mother and father, mom and dad. And, and that really is probably something that we don't normally consider. But think about the fact God didn't create the state. He didn't create the city. He didn't create the school. He created the family first. So, yeah, I kind of think that's our first job uh, to remember that we're training up our families. Now, there is a ton of questions, and I don't happen to, that I started to go through all of this. We're not going to go through them. I am going to focus on honor and why we honor, and I'm going to touch on the issue of, of um, the whole idea of practicality. How do we do that when we get to the end? So what do we learn about honor? Well, honor uh, your father and mother. This is a serious issue. God takes it seriously. It's in the scriptures for us. You know, the Hebrew word, uh, as I learned, it means heavy or weighty. And so we, how do we see it used in Old Testament passages? Usually in the glory of God or the weightiness of his design majesty. So how do we apply that then? Well, we need to give due weight to our parents' positions. We need to give them recognition that they deserve and respect, esteem, value them as gifts from God. Well, so, yeah, it's, a, it's not something that we should lightly. The Westminster Confession happens to take this through a whole bunch of other questions, which I'm going to commend to you for further reading, uh, which we're not going to go through all of these questions. I'm going to focus 
particularly on the, the last two, which is what is the honor that inferiors owe to superiors? And talk a little bit about that. And I'm going to cover what are the sins of inferiors and superiors. So when we turn to the 27th or the 127th question, of the Westminster Larger Catechism, says, what is the honor that inferiors owe to superiors? I'm just going to read it. The honor which inferiors owe to their superiors is all reverence in heart, word, and behavior, prayer, and thanksgiving for them, imitations of their virtues and graces, willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels, due submission to their connect correction, fidelity to defense and maintenance of their persons and authorities according to the several rank, according to their several ranks and the nature of their places bearing with their infirmities and covering them with love that they may be an honor to them and to their government so the question might be let's deal with the first issue of inferiors and superiors because it's not inferior in person per se uh, by that, fathers and mothers in the fifth commandment are meant to mean our natural parents, and but, but it expands the meaning, all superiors in aging gifts. So when you think of being superior or inferior, the idea of being uh, in age or gifts, especially as God has ord ordinances over us in place of authority, whether they're in family or church or in our everyday work. So my first question to you as a group, uh, because it's, I don't want to make this all a presentation, although much of it is, what stands out to you about the idea of what the, the catechism says are our responsibilities? When you first hear it, what stands out to you? Somebody give me something? Oh, yeah. Yeah, amen. Amen. I, I after 40 years of working, I wish I'd understood this better. <laughs> earlier on in my career, but you're you're so right on in that. And it's easy to participate in it. It's easy to participate because yeah, I agree with you. You know. What else? Anything else? Yeah.
Yeah, I, th- I think you're spot on it. Because the, the reality is, is that the question is, is where do we find truth? Do we find truth in terms of our experience? Do we find truth in terms of what our culture is telling us? Or do we find truth in the Word of God? <laughs> right? It shocked me, because I'll just confess to you, but, you know, the what struck me here, prayer and thanksgiving for them. <laughs> I can tell you, I don't think I ever prayed for my boss. I don't think I ever really, I might have casually, but never seriously. And when you stop and ponder what the commandment is asking us to do, and it comes with this blessing, right, that it will go well with you in the land and that you will have success amongst that, would you not, if we were only more, for lack of a better term, obedient to what the Lord has revealed, would we not see that? The answer probably would. But it's hard to do. And um, I'll tell you, when you go to the next question, which is 128, and it says, what are the sins of inferiors against their superiors? The sins of inferiors against their superiors are all neglect of their duties required towards them, Ah. envying at, contempt of, and rebellion against, and then cursing, mocking, as proof shame and dishonor to them and their government. You know, I, I told you, the, one of the purposes, I didn't say this, one of the purposes of the law is to drive us to Christ. And it also reveals our sin. And as we look at this, it should cause us to confess and to recognize and be so eternally thankful for the fact that the blood of Christ has covered all of these, these sins. But as I read these things, I saw myself flash through your brain, right, more than once. And to my shame. And I would just say to you, I'm so thankful for what the catechism has revealed to us because it should cause us to recognize that we, as we are more, for lack of a better term, submissive and obedient to the truth of the word, there is, in fact, blessing that comes from the the world that we live in and around. Well, I'm moving on to the wrong direction. And... um, Calvin has um, also covered it. He has an understanding of what this is. He has three words, reverence, obedience, and gratitude. And so from a reverence point of view, not because they deserve it. Colossians 3.20, not because our parents or those over us, those of superior, but because God has granted them authority. Yes, okay. So it starts immediately thinking of the fact that God is, is not in charge of this. We don't live in this little bubble where we're over here, God's over there. He's over all, right? Leviticus 19.3 says, Every one of you shall revere his mother and father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Matthew 15.4-6, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees because they've been trying to figure out how to deal with inheritances and stuff like that for God. It says, For God commanded, honor your father and mother. These are Jesus' words. And whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, 
what you would have gained from me is given to God. You need to honor, uh, you need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Jesus didn't invalidate this. Jesus validates this issue. So it's, it's a, for lack of a better term, hey, it's a wake up. We need to pay attention to this issue. And so what's our conclusion? The conclusion is reverence to parents is because of our reverence to God. I mean, I, I will just say sometimes I just go, wow, how blind can I be? Well, I can be very blind. And, and the reality is that is uh, that's the first point. God is first. And then scripture tells us how to show respect or deference in thought, word, and actions. So, yeah, the scriptures are guiding us in the midst of this. Obedience. Do what our parents say when they were part of the household. In Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, these words that I have commanded you shall be, your, be on your heart. You shall teach them. Who's he speaking to? To the parents, right? You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. What's the implications? The implications is there are commands and, and there's instruction that's going to be there. Children aren't left unto their own to figure this out. They're not, you know, just for lack of a better term, let's have kids and run off and go life. Normally, we have a responsibility, right? And I say this in light of children, but it's also those we have that work for us and work with us. And, and the, the one thing is we may learn a lot of this not only in the home, we may learn it at other places, um, but parents, we're responsible. We're responsible for this thing. I like this verse from Proverbs. I didn't put it up here. Hear my Proverbs 1, 8 through 10. Hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland on your head and pendants on your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, uh, do not consent. I mean, what parent wouldn't love for their kids to heed that? What wouldn't we have loved to have heeded that? So, yeah, obedience is a part of this. What's the conclusion? Accepting the wisdom of parent-teachers tends to long life and blessings of the fifth commandment. So when we, when we see these kinds of things, we see flourishing that takes place. The next is gratitude. And in gratitude, um, Calvin specifically said, and I was surprised by this, there's a distinct sense of rendering financial value. And it gave some, some verses. And Paul in 1 Timothy 5 says, um, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them show godliness to their, to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. It goes on, command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse 
than an unbeliever. I always found those to be incredibly scary when I read those words. Dan even talked about it today in his sermon in a way that the church has an obligation. And I, and I think about this from a standpoint that we, we as a church have taken in opportunities where we could help those who have been less fortunate, particularly those who have been single parents, those who are refugee status, things other places where they have been unable to do this. And I just think that there's still even, as Dan has said today, there are more places than we think where we can apply um, ourselves to these things. So question is, are there any limitations in honoring parents? Well, in a short word, yes. <laughs> uh, and I could, and I, you could probably already pick it up. Uh, authority can be abused in, in, a, in a family situation. And so if we look at Acts 5, right, where we see the situation going on there, and the choice was really obey God or obey man, right? Stop preaching about this Jesus. He says, we can't stop. <laughs> we're, we're not going to do that. The response was, I got to obey God. And if parents command us to do something that God forbids or forbid what God has asked us to do, you're not going to church anymore. I don't want, you know, maybe it's unbelieving parents, right? You, what is this Christian, this Jesus thing that you're in, into? Well, you're to obey God, not to obey man in those situations. But there's a caveat. We must do it respectfully. Uh, we're never allowed to just, for lack of a better term, be rude and or indifferent in the midst of it. We still remember God has given us parents. Everybody in this room has them, has had them. It's part of what we do. So, and what we know is, is that um, there's also a time in, in where aging happens, right? Parents should not expect the same obedience from grown children. Matthew 19, where Jesus is talking to them about marriage. Man will leave his father and mother and da, 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 da. There is a time when we leave the house leave the home. Today might be a parallel, could be the whole idea of I got my own apartment, right? I used to have this line. I said, you know, I'm absolutely convinced that God's wisdom is so good because at nine months, that baby's going to be born whether you want it to be or not. And then I also believed at 18, it was also God's plan. It was time for them to leave the house whether they wanted to or not, you know, <laughs> you know, and uh, and so I always, always remind the boys that, you know, you came into this world and you are moving on. <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah, that's just part of what we do as parents. And so the question might be, why should we obey our parents? Well, there's a lot that the fifth commandment expands the idea of parents greatly. So we see rulers, we see military chiefs, prophets. Dan even preached on this as we were going through Kings. When they were talking about it, Elijah was going up, Father, Father, you know, the horses. And um, we saw the wisdom of teachers are referred to fathers, mothers, church leaders, older people, God himself, our Father who art in heaven. Steve prays that when he's praying and he uses it as a model. I love the image now as I think about this this whole issue. So what do we take away? Faithfulness in each of these relations results in divine promise 
of long life and prosperity. I, I'm, I'm so thankful for the fact that we have a God who has been revealing to, to us through the word the truth so that life might go flourish, that life might go well. It doesn't always work that way. Uh, I get it. Sin is in the world. But the truth of God is revealed to us so that we can have this flourishing. Now, the fifth commandment then, what is it we can say? It's, a, it's distinguished with a promise. We can say that it motivates our obedience to all authorities and God's covenant prosperity depends on our submission to him and his representatives. The family is fundamental. It is the fundamental sphere from which all of these other relationships that we see are derived. And all forms of our of authority deserve our honor and, sim and similar to the honor that we would give to parents. All do. And all obedience to authority leads to a covenant inheritance. Proverbs 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. And again, why should we? Well, because Jesus did. I mean, that's a pretty good reason in itself. And it, Luke 2.51, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up these things in her heart. I have to tell you, sometimes when you read the scriptures, you start to see new things. You know, they always, we always talk about this diamond and how it glistens. When you ponder your own children, when they are obedient or when they are submissive and when they are doing what you've instructed, is it not something that you ponder and you stop and think about? And I, I struck this and wondered, I wonder if that's what Mary was doing at the time, just amazed at, at, at for lack of a better term, what Jesus was doing in his obedience, how thankful she had to be. So let's talk practically about some things. So what, what it might look like practically? Well, let's start with the home. And how about, yes, Mom. <laughs> yes, Dad. Listen to what they say. And how about respectfully listening? I have to admit that's not been something that I've always done. And, and, but we would love that in our children. We should be modeling this to our children through our own parents, right? How about... Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Mom, for the things that we do. Those would be great things, right? Even now, it's a, my mother's elderly, but she still loves to hear, thank you, Mom, for the things you did when I was younger that I didn't realize back then. So I would encourage you, remember, thank you. How about I'm sorry? <laughs> Wouldn't you love to hear that sometimes, right? How about from your own mouth, right? I'm sorry for these things. Or, here's one, say hello, stop by, call, FaceTime, let them know what's happening in your life. I want to share a blessing. We have three children, three sons, wives, grandchildren. Two are in Charlotte, one's in Birmingham. Every Sunday, our son from Birmingham will call us and FaceTime. It's been going on now for years. We are so thankful for that FaceTime opportunity. And you know what happened? Hey, 
get over here. The kids come over so that we get to see them. We can have a chance to talk and interact with them because distance is hard and we don't get that. I know some of you have the same thing. Just remember, that's an important thing. Encourage your kids, thank them for those times, and remind them how much you are blessed by that. How about work? Work as honor and to, and to honor and glorify God. That's a given. I'm 99% sure that we understand that. But, but let's remember, our God gifts from God include the work we have, the provisions we have to support ourselves, to take care of our families. So let's work to honor God and to glorify him through our work. And then the question, or maybe a, a checking question, do we respect those who have responsibility over us or that we have responsibility for? Um, you know, uh, that's another practical aspect. How about in the church? I mean, I know we hear this a lot, but get involved. Study the word. Invest in small groups. Engage with a mentor. There's all possibilities. One of the things that I've recognized for me personally, I would, and I know many of you have, is that by being in the word, reading the word, it brings out truths to us that we apply to a daily life. And as I've been preparing this lesson, as I listen to the scriptures, I am so thankful for what the word has helped me get a deeper appreciation for. And I know you are too. So be involved in the word. And then the question, that a check question, do your relationships bring glory to God? Um, I think, you know, I think we can all say, you know, there's times when they have and there's times when they haven't. And, and so what do we learn from all of this? Well, we learned that, you know, thank God that Jesus came <laughs> because he has redeemed all things. How about culture? Well, this is uh, 1 John 1, 2, and 7. It says, be in the world, but not of the world is what it and It says, remember that things of this world are passing away along with its desires. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so what is it that we would hope? Well, we recognize that we have a God who has um, redeemed us. And he has established a relationship with us that will last forever. He never forgets. He always remembers. He always will do what he has, to, uh, what he has promised. And I'm typically not one to, to reference these kinds of things, but to the songs today were perfect for just reminding me of what we had gone through. And so let me just read the last one. If you haven't been to worship service, you'll get to sing this song. But it's the second stanza, how deep the Father's love for us. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It is my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Amen. Amen. Well, that's my um, talk on the fifth commandment. And I have finished with all of one or two minutes left, which I'm open to whatever questions you might have or comments. <laughs>
one thing I know, and that is, is that um, when it comes to the, their commandments being more than rules, they're, it's God's direction for us. It's God's love expressed to his people that we might walk faithfully and that we might flourish. And, and that's what came across to me as I studied this, was that we have a God who loves us. Let me pray. Lord, you are the one true and living God, and you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we are so thankful for the fact that you are um, so trustworthy, so dependable, so true that we can build our house upon this rock. And we pray, Father, that as we think about how to apply this fifth commandment in our families, in our work, in our government, how we, how we go about life, Lord, would you cause us to be men and women who understand that we are reflecting your glory to a world around us. And may they understand, Lord, that we love you. And then would you bless us in the midst of this. And we ask this in your name. Amen.